Have you seen me dice bag? <laughs> the Grognard Files. Hello, my name is Dirt the Dice, and this is the Grognard Files podcast, where we talk bobbins about tabletop RPGs from back in the day and today. I'm coming live from my den here in the heart of the northwest of England. I'm completely surrounded by my stuff and other stuff because it's the end of the year and prior to the holiday celebrations, the den has become the usual dumping ground for all the things in the house that we deem to have no festive relevance. The exercise bike comes in here once a year. In fact, the only exercise we get out of it is lifting it in and out of the room. On my right is my great library of RPGs. I feel like my shelf has been laser-focused this year. On my left is the ridiculous homemade shrine to the actor Caroline Monroe. I'll, uh, I'll just give it a tap. Ah, yes. Once again, she's appeared in Don't Open Till Christmas. Never seen it. Comes up every year. Never seen it. I hope you're listening to this episode as you're making festive preparations, or relaxing as we head into the new year. Me and the resident rules lawyer, Blythe, have entered the room of role-playing rambling up in the attic to review 2023 and assess our year in gaming. There's definitely a continuity in our development from the previous year. We've been discovering a more formalist, structured games, with framing challenges and consequences, and we've been exploring how they may support the kinds of role-playing that interests us. This has been against the background of going back to basic role-playing, BRP, and it's just-give-me-a-roll approach. There's the usual discussion about wigs, less and fewer corrections, Paul Mitchell on the uke, and the Groggy Awards. 2023. Last year we had Paul Fricker and Bud from Bud's RPG Reviews talking about their community content creations. This time we've invited Gaz Bowerbank, also known as Evil Gaz from What Would the Smart Party Do podcast, who came to Book Club. He'd had a shave especially for the event and he talked about his D&D adventure, The Bone Alchemist. There are spoilers in here, but as you'd expect from Gaz, there's wisdom, tips and techniques and insight for you to bring to the table. I'm going to go away and find a lozenge, but I'll be back at the end to say goodbye. So until then, ramblers, let's get rambling. The Groggies, part one. Welcome to the room of role-playing rambling. And it is a room. We're not doing it over the telephone. I've got Blade in the same room with me. Hello, Dirk. Hello. And we've come up to the attic again. Yeah. Out of the way. Yeah. Because we used to go to the store cupboard and people are concerned about that. Robinson's cordial that's been there for a long time. I can confirm it's still there. Make a con save if you drink any. Yeah. Save versus poison or die. 
It's it's now entering its sixteenth year. That's been... Did either test fantastic? It just kind of fermented in some weird way. Oh, get weird! It is going down. Uh, Someone's having it. I don't know whether it's evaporated. You know, like when they storing whiskey, a bit disappeared. Yeah. Like the angel share. The angel share. They do. Oh, that's true. Sure. We're all the angels. We've got Robinson's summer fruits. Yeah. <laughs> so we're up in the attic. We've got the pigeons keeping us company. Also, one-legged one tapping on the window, like Tiny Tim. 2023, mm. we're going to reflect an award. The Groggies have got some spurious golden envelopes here. Weird dodgy categories that don't quite make sense. I've done a lot of effort this year in just clarifying. Just clarifying for, for a change what yeah. they actually mean. Because what I do before we record this, I listen to the previous year. Oh, right, okay. It gets quite adversarial for no reason whatsoever. Doesn't it? Yeah. We'll take it too seriously. I am. Uh, I don't know why we argue over the classification well, well, yeah. you start giving out awards that's what happens well what i what i've decided with your support i hope at this time we just we i award one and you award one. oh okay all right we don't have to determine which is you don't have to have a winner we don't have to okay that's why you want to do it yeah it's beautiful mate people may be disappointed already now there's enough there's enough going on in the world there's enough conflict in the world yeah. this, this time of year what a wonderful year it's been. This is it's been so exciting. I've reached. It has been a it has been a funny old year, hasn't it? We say that every year as well. It's, yeah, it's almost like they're all funny old years. Yeah. yeah. Mm. This is a year that Michael Fabricant was made a knight of the realm. Mike Sir Michael Fabricant to you. Yes. I'm taking it as a being inspiring that somebody like him can become a knight of the realm. You mean there's hope for Zal? There's hope for Zal. Well, maybe, maybe. But the hair, I mean, it's, it's, it's a wig, isn't it? That's a wig, isn't it? It must be a wig. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure. Do you not, not, you don't know? I, I know. I think it's just, I think he's just blessed. Blessed? And I think that's a curse. He's one of those characters, though. This is the dilemma of the wig wearer, isn't it? That if it's a wig, let's assume it's a wig. It may not be a wig. But let's assume it's a wig. And it looks ridiculous. He's stuck with it, isn't he? Because he's 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 committed to he's it. committed to it because the whole point of the wig is that people don't think it's a wig, so he's 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 got to kind of keep this really poor illusion going. Oh no, it's not a wig. It is a wig. Oh no, it's not. Well, if it was a wig, I'd change it. It's ridiculous, isn't it? Oh, yeah. But it's well, he got knighted for services to wigs or whatever. <laughs> services to hairdressing. And I think gaming has been a, a comfort again this year. Metro- yeah. Metropolitan liberal elites, we yeah. get a crumb of comfort from increasing irrelevance in the world as we get older. Yeah, but we can, we can find relevance in gaming. Gaming. Mm, yeah. True. And talking here. Yes. Yeah. Give some kind of validation for our existence. Yeah. Is this the way it's going to go? This, this, is, are we, is he going to carry on like this? Or are you going <laughs> to... Can we just have an argument about some... Stupid gaming categories you've invented. I think, I think that'd be a better option. Let's just have an argument about, you know, why our favourite dice is or something. So this year we've played a hundred sessions. Mm-hmm. So that's well over 200 hours of gaming. Well, yeah, 200, probably closer to 300 hours, yeah. isn't it? Plus, possibly. Yeah. Plus, yeah. It felt like a lighter year than previous years. It probably is a little bit, but still. Yeah, a lot. I mean, yeah, it is a lot. 30 different systems. And what I've spotted this time, which is unusual, is that nearly half of them we haven't played together. 
Now, not in sessions, but in terms of games. So we played 30 different games. Yeah, yeah. So most of our sessions are together, but but actual systems and games are... Yeah. Because, because when we're doing convention games... Yeah, yeah. Running separately. And I think that explains a bit, because there's been points, hasn't there, when we've been struggling a little bit to say, right, what's the next podcast about, or planning mm. them. Yes, yeah. And I think it's because we're not experiencing the games together, and yeah. we never talked about games we've never played. Yeah. So, for example, I played quite a bit of Twilight 2000. I've not played it. You've not played no, it? No, I've not played it. That's true, actually, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, I, I've played quite a bit of DCC, but, but those... You've not. You have played one, two, a couple of games, yeah. but most of it you haven't, have you? No. no. Yeah. Yeah, that's true, that. Mm. Yeah. I, I played enough to understand the game, but could, if we wanted to do an episode on it, I feel like I'd need yeah. to play more. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's something we have to put right next year. Yeah. But for coincidence, we have to bring bring it back together. Reunited. You're doing it again. Yeah, well... Wistful. Wistful. I'll stop getting wistful. Stop I'll stop getting wistful. <laughs> My look, Michael Fabrican. How did that happen? Anyway, we've got, uh, move, moving on, moving on. I've got, <laughs> I've got a prefab script, prefab sprout game. And it is Christmas. So oh, it feels right. Yeah. Sprout. Okay. Prefab sprout game. Prefab Brussels sprout. So Gaz is our special guest. Yeah. Yeah. This week. And he, publishes to drive through and through content creator platforms. Yes. His own scenarios, put some out there. Yeah. I thought I'd look on drive through mm. for supplements that have Christmas as a subject. Okay. Um, right. Yeah. Okay. So there's four of them here. Yeah. But one of them. One of them I've invented. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The standard, standard rules. Yeah. Standard yeah. rules. Okay. So let's see how you do with this. All right. I think it might be a bit obvious, this, but let's, I'll well, do it anyway. I'll do it anyway. No, don't say, don't say that because if I get you wrong, you've just set me up for a bigger fall now and you. Well, that's not my intention. Well, it came across that way. Oh, I'm trying not to be able gone to. Me. You've gone from, you see, you, you've done that. You've gone from all this seasonal goodwill <laughs> stuff to, to something <laughs> a little bit passive aggressive kind of. Anyway, go on. <laughs> go on. Let's do this. The first one. Mm. Santa versus Santos versus Jesus. The battle for Christmas. All is not well at the North Pole. The most evil Lucador has taken their elves hostage, threatening to barbecue Donna if Santa does not face him in battle. And that's uh, using Rolf... Rolf, the role-playing game of big dumb fighters. Santa versus Santa, Santos versus Jesus. Jesus, yeah. Over egging the pudding a little bit, isn't it? Yeah. Go on now, yeah. I, I, go on, well, give, give me all of them, then I'll pass comment. I think, I think Santa versus Jesus would have been too much on the nose, so I think Santos is introduced as a third element. Go on, next one. Christmas Ninjas. An RPG of ninjas fighting for Christmas, who are also rock stars. That's a that's a subtitle. It's Christmas ninjas, and here's a subtitle: an RPG of ninjas fighting for Christmas, who are also rock stars. Niche that, isn't it? You play an elite team of penguin and human ninjas waging war <laughs> against Santa Claus. Sorry, penguin and human. Yeah. So <laughs> you sat around, right? Who wants to be a penguin? Who wants to be a human? 
Right. I don't, know, I don't know if it's different breeds of penguins or like a rock copper or an emperor or whatever. I don't know. Mm. Yeah, okay. okay. Let me continue. Go I've got the full Go yeah. synopsis here. You play an elite team of penguin and human ninjas waging a war against Santa Claus and his oozy-wielding elves. I'm just thinking of the disappointment if I turned up for a game of role-play and that was presented to me. The, the incredible disappointment. Anything with Christmas in it, though. It's just like, like Christmas number one, isn't it? Christmas yeah. records. It, yeah. It's not it's not guaranteed quality, is it? No. Um, in fact, it's an excuse for it's been a bit subpar, isn't it, really? Let's see, next one. The Frog's Legacy. On Christmas Day, and at a family gathering, you are told of gold left by a gentleman thief, Freddy the Frog Robdell. You go in search of the treasure. Sounds all right. Okay. Christmas there is used very loosely, isn't it? Yeah. Just a Christmas gathering where there's a means to an end, isn't it? So that that sounds okay, doesn't it? The goblins who ate Christmas. Goblins who ate Christmas, okay. Christmas without games is no Christmas at all. But that's what the great and glorious king of all goblins wants to do and only Santa and his elves can stop him. And that's for any system, and it's a scenario for all the family. It says any system, but you know you could play. Yeah. You could play cult, could you? No, maybe not. Mm. Yeah, any, any system. Yeah. yeah. So there's a bit of a theme emerges. There's a lot of like, again, there's a lot of war and conflict, hyper-violent Christmas. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Bat- the battle for Christmas. yeah, the battle for Christmas with uses or ninja. I see. Calm down. Okay. I'm not a fan of Christmas, but I've never thought of getting a it. So which one are you going for? Well, I think number three, the frog one, the frog thing, that, that seems, that's a bit of an odd one out, really, isn't it, compared to the others? So could you have made that up? But then I, I don't know. That, like, you see, you gave me a bit of clue when you said, I think it might be obvious. I think that might be real. Okay. Because it does seem okay, that. That seems like a good, might be quite a good scenario because it's just Christmas gathering, therefore it's just an excuse to get some characters together, isn't it, in a house? You know, they could be quite disparate characters and why are these people together? Well, it's Christmas and people get together, don't they? Sort of, and then just stick an adventure on. The adventure just sounds like a good old mystery adventure, doesn't it? Find some gold that's been hidden by some famous robber. It's fine, sounds all right. The Santos Jesus thing. Yeah. Just sounds insane. And the ninja thing, not much better. But then they're so insane. Would you have made those up? I don't know. Goblins that ate Christmas. I'm going to say the goblins that ate Christmas. You made that one up. No, it was the frog's legacy. Now, I didn't have a lot of time to prepare this. Uh, he said, sounded that, yeah. I the did wonder because it sounded, I suppose like you say, it sounded obvious, but it sounded a bit too obvious. The frog's legacy was the Only Fools and Horses Christmas special from 1987. Was it? Yeah. Oh, right. Is that the plot? It was put out on Christmas Day. Yeah. Was it? Yeah. And that was the plot, was it? Yeah. That that was the plot. Freddy the Frog Robdo was a diver. Right. Oh, you see, that sounds okay. You've made that one up, but actually, you've not really made it up, have you? You just stole it from all the fools and horses. And it sounds quite good. It's a good scenario. I might put it up on drive. Yeah, because all the rest of them seem a bit hostile, don't they? Those are seem bonkers. It's that thing, isn't it, where things, there's a fine line between sort of 
humorous scenario, a quirky scenario, a gonzo. The word gonzo gets used a lot, doesn't it? The gonzo scenario. And stuff that just sounds absolutely rubbish. Yeah. Because it's just on my pay. Penguins and ninjas. I mean, what? He wants to be a penguin. He could be a ninja. No. Is that a question you want me to answer? What? No, it's a rhetorical question. <laughs> I, I wouldn't expect an answer. <laughs> <laughs> So we do some awards then? Go on, let's do some awards. Roll out the red carpet. In an agreeable fashion. It's Behaviour's Golden Envelope. And the first one is the Messianic Megalomaniac Award. Games Master Award. Now, I'm clarifying it. Okay. For this year. Yeah. It's your best experience of being a Games Master. Well, I see. Right, okay. So so basically you can't win it because you always win this, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, but there's no winners. You have your winner. This is and like this is like this is like one of those school sports days. The Daily Mail rants about, isn't it, where everyone's a winner? You know, Daily Mail gets really upset because it wants children to suffer. I think Michael Gove has opinions on it. Yeah, <laughs> yes. I don't. I don't think he listens to the podcast. Doesn't listen to this podcast. He should do because he played D and D. Yeah, yeah. He played D and D. Yeah. I don't think he listens to the shame of the hobby that he was the only oh, name, name a politician who played D and D. Michael Gove. That's all you've got. With his state-sponsored smoke shelter on top of his office. So you can't think of the state Oh, yeah. We haven't got, got enough money to, you know, build uh, yeah. schools and hospitals. But, yeah, he needed a, sport, a smoke shelter that was on the roof because he didn't want to go on the street. Because yeah. uh, he's Michael Dove. Yeah, Michael Dove. Yeah. Because uh, yeah, he, he, he might of... get what's coming to him if he's on the street. <laughs> Goes up there reading his old copies of White Dwarf or whatever. <laughs> Wondering if he'll ever get a chance to run the Aurelian. Again. Again, yeah. <laughs> so come on then, what's your Games Master experience? I think one of my best experiences running again. I've I run, I, what's unusual about this year, I would say, almost unique since we get, got back into the hobby, I don't think I've run a game that's been disappointing or a bad one this year. Uh, Normally, there's always... A convention game or something, isn't there, that you run where you think, oh, it were all right, but not, not as good as I thought, that kind of thing. Yeah. You know, we have those experiences, don't we? This year, I don't think I've had any experiences like that. All the games I've run, they've all been good. I've not had a game where I've thought, do you know what, I'm, it's not quite gone right or it's been a bit disappointing or people seem to be disengaged or that kind of thing, which doesn't happen very often, but over the course of a year, a gaming year, there's usually one. A two like that isn't done, but I haven't had any. And I do wonder. I was kind of thinking back over the years whether that is a. Cause it's often convention games. Whether that's me getting a little bit more skilled at avoiding those situations or building things into my games when I'm at a convention, deal with it better. You know, to me, yeah, but, I think it must be. I think it must mm-hmm. be because we came into this, didn't we, uh, when we started going to conventions, never having run yeah. games for people other than me, you and Eddie, yeah. really. Yeah. So, yeah. so you, you're a bit, you're a bit vulnerable to think when things go wrong, not quite knowing how to deal with them, you know, or maybe building things into your scenarios that are going to go wrong, like a little time bath that you've not considered. But I, I, if I had to pick a particular game, and this will sound strange because in some ways this started off as the worst game of the year and ended up being quite a rewarding one, was the game of Traveller that I ran at Games Expo. Oh, yeah. Expo has got form. 
as we've discussed many times, for being a little bit Wild West. You don't know what you're going to get. I would say 50% of my games at Expo been a bit duff, both as a player and a GM, for various reasons. And my game of Traveller, as we recounted in that episode, I turned to put the room, bit of a disaster to start with, but I ended up with two players who were like brother and sister who'd come to Expo to try different games. They'd played D&D, but nothing else, and they wanted to try Traveller. And it was a really good game. I only had two players. You know, again, I sat down, I thought, I've only got two players. Oh, this might be a struggle. But they really engaged with it. And it was really, a really good experience. Going from a really kind of faltering start, it was a rewarding experience because they wanted to play Traveller. They were interested in it. They engaged with it. Well, that shows, I think, you're right, the experience of developing a bit more resilience because you've got a bit more experience. Yeah. Yeah, and that, and that maybe that's why it wins for me because I realised two or three years ago I would possibly be saying that was my worst game of the year. That initial faltering thing of, oh, there's no table, oh, where am I going to go? Oh, I've lost a couple of players. Have I lost them because they've not turned up? Have I lost them because they don't know where I am? Yeah, a few years ago it, it would have, I'd have sat there with those players and thought, oh, this is terrible, let's just get through it but I didn't, I kind of managed to kind of rally myself a little bit. So, yeah, I'd say that's probably... Traveller at Expo. Traveller at Expo. Who knew? Who knew? It, I think a particular set of reasons that would probably win the award for yeah. me. What about you? So I think in general, this year, the game I played more than any other, GM'd more than any other, is uh, Stormbreaker. Mm. This year has been the year of Stormbringer. Perhaps come on to talk about the Rogue Mysteries campaign that we've been playing online and throughout this year. But I also played some one-shots. And at the start of the year, we had the Moorcock Weekender where we took games. And I, I took the view that I wasn't going to take Stormbringer because it's a bit swingy. It doesn't really represent what Moorcock's about. It's... You know, all the things that we've talked about before, it's, it's, it's set in the worlds of uh, Morcock, but the, but the mechanics don't support it. However, I've changed my view. I have changed my view through playing it. And I don't know whether it's because it's BRP and I know it and I understand it and I feel very comfortable with it. But I also think that swinginess kind of adds to the general level of chaos that I've enjoyed playing. Yeah. Stormbringer to see what emerges in the same way that you've said about DCC and some of the things that come out of that I've enjoyed going into games with that set of mechanics and not really knowing whether it's going to work I, it's kind of kept my uh, kept me fresh and I've run a couple of one shots on it one was the Begging Knights of Nadsakor where the play characters have a chance to meet Elric and fight alongside Elric, which is never a good idea. <laughs> it's never going to turn out well, is it? And then the other ones that did at Grogmeet were around the world of Corum, and there's a supplement brought out in the early noughties for Corum. And previously, I said, well, it's not very good. I think I based that opinion more on reading bits of it and looking at the map and thinking, that map doesn't represent the world of Corum at all. So taking a view. However... This is where the difference between reading something and playing something mm. makes all the difference. I had the, this race, the shuffling, 
and gives you, they're on the edges. So they're out of the main world. So it gives you a little bit of an opportunity to be more inventive with that race. And you realise that the supplement is really good. Mm. It's got loads of ideas in it and those little hooks that you can create from. So my GM experience is Stormbringer in general, but playing core at mm. Grodme. Yeah. No, Stormbringer. I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about this later, but Stormbringer has been a big, big thing for us this year, hasn't it? You yeah. Know? And it's interesting, isn't it, that we play, you see, we call ourselves grognards, don't we? But the games we play from back in the day, so I've just talked about running Traveller, haven't I? But it's Mongoose second edition Traveller, isn't it? Which, yeah. in my opinion, is a great version of it, better than the original. You know, it's a great version of it. We played Call of Cthulhu, but we played 7th edition. We played RuneQuest, but we played RuneQuest Galantha. Stormbringer, since coming out of Deep Freeze, it's the, the game this year, because of this year, we've played the most in its original format. Yes. I even played it, Grogney, as well, but we played it in its original format. So we're playing the old game. See, often when we say we played an old game, we're really playing a slightly newer version of it, aren't yeah. we? Like the 5A or 7th edition Cthulhu, whatever. But this, we are playing the original, and it does stand up. There yeah. is something about it. It does work. We've played it on Sunday night, on our Sunday night group, and and it, we've I really enjoyed it. It's been yeah. one of the highlights of my year as a player, playing Stormbringer. Yeah. Stormbringer, generally, Stormbringer at Grogme, and yeah. I've gone for Traveller at, yeah. at Expo, yeah. Next award that's up in the spirits envelope, the Olive Kinnisberg. Remember, she was the Call of Cthulhu character who got killed by Shantai. That's right. Yes. <laughs> Olive Kinnisberg, players, players, playing, and the people who play. Award. Yeah. Now, this is the one that we get. This one I always get confused about what it really means. Yeah. yeah. So, a clarification. Yeah. I'm going to say it's the best character that you played this year. Right. Well, we're back to Stormbringer. And say my favourite character of the year is Ulmer, Ulmer of Amblemane, my character in Stormbringer. He's managed somehow miraculously to survive. Well, the, the, I think our next game of Rogue Mistress is the finale, isn't it? So yeah. He's managed to, he might not survive it, but he's survived to the end. Yes. He's, he's had two, he's had two serious wounds. His dexterity's on four now from a staggering, I think it was a staggering nine start. He's got dexterity four, he's got charisma of six. He's, Absolute rubbish character. And when we created characters, it was disappointing because, of course, in Stormbringer, you roll on that table, don't you, to work out your nationality. Yeah. And, and depending on nationality, you can get bought. You could get, like, another D8 constitution, couldn't you, or another D8 strength or a D6. Or, you know, I rolled with Argamilia, and it just says normal humans, 3D6, and he's rubbish. But he's also brilliant because he has survived. Yeah. You know, he has survived. He's been through a lot. He's been possessed by demons, possessed by a, a weird knife thing at one point, wasn't he? Where all his statistics went up by about 30 and he was like super, super powered, wasn't he? Yeah. Now he's rubbish again. Like you were saying about DCC and Stormbreaker, quite swingy games. But in some ways, the, there's real benefits to that because you can play a rubbish character and survive because he's swingy with games like that. And I've realised this with Stormbringer. Every, every session of Stormbringer, every session of Rogue Mistress, certainly for the first four or five, I thought, 
sat down on Sunday night and I thought, he's going to die. He's going to die this time. This is it. There's yeah. no chance he's going to get through it. But he has always got through it somehow, incredibly. And in some ways, he's better than a brilliant character. He's better than a character with really good stats because there's a sense of like, he's got, he managed to survive it, you know, and a swingy yeah. game allows you to do that. Because sometimes the characters are really good to fail the roles because it's swingy. Yeah. That's the whole point, isn't it? Yeah. You know, and there's a certain joy in that, I think. I've learned that with DCC, that that's a similar thing. You can end up playing a rubbish character, but they can survive. Yeah, but I think what's happened is we've played Savage Worlds, which is more heroic, isn't it? Mm. More high adventure, yeah. heroic. Yeah. We've played quite a bit of 5e, which does that. 2d20. Your character's in Cornwall. T20 definitely does that, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, you're but, far but, more capable. And and if you remember, we got a bit giddy about four years ago when we started playing these other games. Yeah, other than we did. Yeah, yeah, we did. Saying, yeah. I've got characters that can do things. Do things, yeah. And be successful yeah. and yeah. heroic. That's very true, yeah. And maybe we've overindulged. Overindulged and, in that, yeah. And now it's quite, yeah. quite, quite rewarding to yeah. have a character that... Yeah. It, it survives by the skin of the teeth. Yes. Yeah. And it tests you as a player to think of this, I want this guy to survive. How is he going to survive? Whereas sometimes in those other games, you're almost thinking, well, the mechanics and the dice will almost guarantee it for me because I've optimized it. So like Conan, 2D20 Conan is a great example. And she's kind of like, I'm just, you, it's not like survival's guaranteed, but you go into a fight with a degree of confidence where you think, yeah. I've, I've developed, I've optimised a fighty character here. And in a fight, this character can hold their own. They'd have to be very, very unlucky to die. If they were going to die, you'd have a bit of a clue before it happened. It wouldn't just happen on a one dice roll. Whereas in Stormbringer, not quite that, is it? It can no, happen. It can happen. You know. And I, I thought, I thought that was a bad thing. But as I say, I think, because you can tell epic stories, because we have done other when using those characters, you can do. But they're at the mercy of chaos. Yeah. And it's... it's you have to kind of accept that. That's yeah. the thing. It's not, don't get... You just have to accept that, that it can happen. Yeah. I have to say as well, although it wasn't one of my characters, I think we have to give a nod to Bernardo, don't we? Oh, yeah. Bernardo, Chris Sharp's character is Starbrigger, who had a brain transplant. <laughs> Because he's he's had so much bad luck. His original character ended up with his intelligence of three. Yes, it was. Because he lost, he had injuries and things, and lost intelligence points. And, and when we were, there's a spaceship, there's a, without giving too much away, in Drug Mistress, there's this weird spaceship you find, and the OL laboratory, you allowed a brain transplant. So he's now playing a different character with the same body. Yeah. Which is very, very funny. Yeah. So he's from Hawkmoon's world of a space. Yeah, he's, <laughs> uh, yeah. Great Starbringer has been so good. I've enjoyed it so much, you know, yeah. and even though it's completely old school, it's been such a good laugh. My award mm -hmm. goes to uh, Flan Boone, who is oh, the yeah. character that I'm playing in Pirates of uh, Drunax. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm going to give a, a mention to Shark Zebrick. Because we played a bit of cyberpunk, cyberpunk. We did, didn't we? And Shark was yeah. my character, loosely based on Marquis Smith, but he was graffiti artist. <laughs> yeah. And I had a little bit of fun 
because Steve does these great play mats, doesn't he? Yeah, plates yeah. um, for Roll20. Actually, putting a tag, the Z tag, yeah. on the play mat at places where he couldn't see it. Because <laughs> he was playing the same game with his family, wasn't he? Yeah. And then he'd come to run the game the week later with his family <laughs> and noticed that. And some hanged graffiti. So... But yeah, that, that that was a good character. But Fran Boone are playing in, in Travel. I think it's helped because of the character creation process. Mm. But the new one with uh, Mongoose allows you to, like, almost like a tag team work with another other Yeah, it, it creates like it, it's it's traditional travel stuff, but it has a lot added bits where you create a backstory and develop some relationships and enemies and things like that as yeah. well as part of the process, yeah. Yeah, so I've picked up some enemies along the way, but mine and Jonathan's characters, so Armin and Flan, are quite close because they started off together and mm. then went on diverging paths. It's a bit like the Persuaders, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yes. 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 I went down the academic route. Yeah, you went to university, <laughs> didn't you? Your character went to university, whereas, yeah. He became more street. He's a psionic, but he became, ended up in prison. Ended up in prison, prison yeah. yeah. For, for me. For oh. a job that you didn't turn up to. Yeah. I managed to get away yeah. and escape to university. <laughs> so that's fun because that has played out as we've mm. been, that backstory has played out as we've been playing. Yeah. So we've got a situation where one of the characters has had to retire because Will could no longer get up yeah. at 2 a.m. At 2 a.m. in Seattle. To in Seattle. <laughs> Understandable. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, Boscombe, he was set up to be our first guy, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, to do all the negotiating, all the trade deals you have to do and selling your piratical stolen goods, yeah. So, we ended up creating our characters together and we've got a deficit in the social skills area mm. now that he's left. Yeah. So, it's fallen on flam. He throws himself forward because he says, I am the academic. <laughs> I am educated. I am educated. <laughs> but he invariably insults the uh, yeah. people. He's a slightly arrogant character. He insults people and yeah. the deal never works. It never works. I never get the roles. I never get the roles because no. I'm <laughs> deficient in that area. <laughs> so it has been yeah. great fun creating situations that I'm in. Jonathan's character has to come and clean up. Well, didn't he insult an Aslan? Yeah. And there was, he insulted an Aslan who then challenged you to a duel that Jonathan's character then had to fight. Yes. Because. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I think that happened in the first season, but in this season, yeah. for example, I've been, because I'm the pilot on the bridge, mm. I do like remote infiltration <laughs> hacking from, from the, the doctor pilot the ship. So we're going to do fighting. Ship. Yeah. Yeah. And so when they go planet side in their vac suits fighting yeah. aliens with spiny fingers that could burst through the vac suits at any moment. Yes, you were on the bridge. I'm on the bridge. And I think he came back early and caught Flan in an armchair putting out a cigar. And so, as he was <laughs> he came back because his vac suit had been torn yeah. by the spiny fingered alien. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. you know, Flan Boone is uh, yeah. my. Fair. And I suppose it's that that's the interesting thing about that campaign, isn't it? it does require a broad set of skills. It does. It's not just fighting, it requires a broad set of skills to, to prosper in it. You've got to go to doing the broker roles and the admin roles and the persuade roles as well. And with experience, that 
they never had in the old version of uh, no well it's an optional rule that i was in a traveler companion so i think experiences the experience rules are quite good where you get experience points and, you, and, and then learn and, new skills yeah and i've been spending it on diplomacy so yeah. at least we have some some yeah some diplomacy yeah <laughs> Okay, let's have a, a break and uh, listen to Gaz talk about the Born Alchemist. Okay. Welcome to the Zoom of Role Playing Rambling, to the co host of the UK's premier RPG podcast, What Would the Smart Party Do? Author of a number of community content scenarios and in the Kraken. The GM, they call the Iron GM. Hello there, Gaz. Hi, Dirk. How's it going? Delighted to be here. And there's no rust on me. You'll be glad to know. Despite <laughs> the inclement weather, the Iron GM remains pristine. Excellent. This morning in the book club, we've been talking about The Bone Alchemist, which is your scenario that you did for the Adventure Guild. It's quite a while ago now, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I can't remember exactly how long, but it's the first one I did when I thought I'd start on this community content journey. And it seemed wise to pick the world's most popular RPG to write something for. Talk us through the process then of how this came about and your experience of actually creating this scenario. It's something I've always thought about doing. I've written many times, many, many convention scenarios, as you're aware. Uh, you know, I've been doing this for since the 90s, probably went to conventions, but it, those things tend to be just bullet point notes and it's stuff that I can run from. But people used to ask me, oh, can you send me notes for adventures? Oh, I can. But they're written on the back of a beer mat. <laughs> they probably won't be able to give you the same three to four hours of enjoyment that I got out of it. Uh, so it, it sort of behooved me a bit to start writing things up, I felt. And, and I kind of wanted to to have a go at that. And I do quite like the sort of technical aspects. I kind of wanted to have a go at layout and putting pictures about and doing some photo manipulation to create some art. So there's quite a lot of disciplines go into it. And it's a bit of a labour of love. I know people can make a living in the role-playing industry. The best way to make a small fortune is to start with a large fortune and all that. But yeah, there's a, there's, my hourly rate is quite small. We'll measure it in fractions of cents rather than dollars, I would think, at this point. But yeah, I, want, I wanted to produce some scenarios of stuff I, I'd like to play or I do play or I do run and give it to other people. Because like I said, there have been people who say, like, well, what, what would you do in a scenario? Or can I see that that you did? Or how do you go about it? So I thought the best way to... To learn it, to do it, is to do it. This same apocalypse world, if you're going to do it, do it. So I just started creating some stuff to see what it felt like. You know, like back in the day, I ran a convention once because people complained about how hard it was and what a nightmare it was, all those kind of things. And I didn't think it was. But the only way to prove that is to actually run a convention. And then you can go, right, well, now I can speak with authority. So I've always got opinions on other people's scenarios. It made sense that I should write some to get an idea of what's on the other side of the GM screen, if you know what I mean. Very striking that you say that because I was invited to turn one of my convention scenarios into a written format. I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't do the transition from post-it notes into something that somebody else would be able to run. It's really difficult, isn't it? What were the challenges that you you found in making that leap from post-it notes to technical fiction? as uh, Pookie often calls it. Yeah, I mean, the problem is that you don't know what the customer wants because the customer is a myriad of different people with a plethora of different wants, needs, and desires. So if you try and do something that another person wants, then there's a million people who won't like it and some that might and some want something different. So it's quite tough. And my challenge is that I can be either very terse, that'll be bullet points and I know what I mean, 
or if I start explaining stuff, I'll then get overly verbose and write too much and try and cover all the caveats and different possibilities that could happen or loads of florid language and description. So to try and find a middle ground is kind of where I was at. I mean, I'm not entirely sure I always succeed at that. Like I always look back at my words and think, I'm not sure. When I start writing things up, I'm always halfway through and I think, oh, I've written too much already. Like I'm already at like however many thousand words and I'm only halfway through, you know, and there's never mind rewrites and additions and addendums and other stuff. So the challenge is always like, what do you put in it? Like what do people want? And the Pod Alchemist got like some very good reviews from, for example, 10footpole.org, which is known as a Serbic site, which gives like really cutting reviews of OSR and DD style modules. But he generally liked it. But the things he didn't like were like the having two or three paragraphs of description and stuff. Whereas there's other people who buy the scenario because they want those two or three paragraphs of description to get something in the mind that they can present to the players. It's the ideas, it's the the cool stuff. So there's like a mix of different people different one, with different ones, which then creates attention. And I sit here at my lonely home kind of like panicking about, have I written too much? Have I written not enough? Have I concentrated on the right things? You know, and you're constantly second-guessing yourself because I know what I want, but that's not what necessarily lots of other people want. Because I can write my own scenarios, for example. I generally do conventions. It's 99% my own stuff. Yeah. But I know there's another group of people who buy scenarios because they can't do that because they haven't got time or the inspiration or whatever else it might be. Or they want to try a new system out and don't know what an adventure looks like. So for me, it's kind of hard to put myself in everybody else's other shoes and come to that kind of happy middle that, that's going to like, you know, so that most people can get something out of, I think, is the way I'm looking at it. One of the challenges, and I think we identified it when we were looking at this scenario, is that there's some strong scenes in this and we'll we'll talk about those in a moment but it's those transition points isn't it because in a convention you can as a games master you can bring people along the adventure just by sheer momentum but to convey that in a written way is, is quite a challenge isn't it yes uh, and, the, and the way i prefer scenarios anyway is strong scene situations characters and then worry less about the interstitial bits when you get from one scene to another, or how would this progress? Uh, by its nature, because it's a D&D scenario, when it's, I wanted to make sure it just went somewhere, this is quite linear in the adventure, but that's that's fine. Because I feel, still think it's got strong enough scenes that you could pluck them out and put them somewhere else if you wanted to. And how you get from one scene to the next, I I think it's more of a GM player job. And if you want to do it with the 30-day style montages, or you have character, character banter, or the GM wants to describe some wilderness or provide some other clues or something, I think that's that's not necessarily the scenario writer's job, arguably. I mean, if you think of a plotted investigative scenario, for example, what you'd have is where the locations of people are with all the clues and then how you get to each one or which order you go in kind of comes out of the table. I think if you try to prescribe that, you can get too linear. But as I say, with the Bone Alchemist, it is specifically a linear scenario because it's just here's some cool scenes and things that happen. And you know, put them on the conveyor belt and let people encounter them as they come along, sort of thing. So, people people who are not aware of the setup, you pitch it to us. What's the what's the uh, idea behind the Bone Alchemist? Well, I know your um your listeners. I would say of a certain age for the majority. I'm sure there's a whole variety of people listening. But if you remember the kind of old sort of Technicolor adventure movies, so stuff like the Golden Voyage of Sinbad and that kind of stuff, and the Ray Harryhausen animated monsters and stuff. I didn't want to do just a regular D&D scenario in a generic fantasy. So I, I 
sort of not specifically said, but styled in that way of kind of Arabian Nights. It's set in a city, or it starts in a city anyway. That's that kind of theme, and a prince has gone missing, and the royal family are the most important thing in that city. And your characters are immediately swept up and trying to find out what's happened to the young prince. And there's all kinds of like exciting things on the way, which I think would fit in one of those old movies. So, you know, spoiler alert, but there's a huge dead beast rotting on the beach that you have to dig your way inside to find out what's going on there. There's a monstrous creature that you can ride upon. And there's a, a dungeon at the end with nefarious, villainous magicians and stuff like that. So it's uh, it's kind of like, yeah, one of those Arabian Nights adventures with a bit of stop motion monsters in as well to kind of make things more interesting. It's quite low level, isn't it, for a D&D game? Was that a, a specific choice that you made? Conscious choice as well, yeah. I think... I've written another D&D scenario that didn't do anywhere near as well, and that's a fourth-level adventure, or fourth or fifth. I might have pitched out a third and fourth one of the way around. But that's... I'm not sure how many of those adventures people pick up. Uh, and I don't know whether it's because it's the second one, and people read the first one and thought, oh, actually, it's rubbish. I don't want the second one now, or whatever it was. But first or third is something people will want, and specifically people who are getting into a game. They want to start at the beginning, right? They're like, well, I want to start a scenario. What can I get? So... That seems reasonable. And given the milestone approach to experience that D&D has these days, it can take you through the first three levels, which in the new D&D are basically the training levels. I mean, I think most experts or old hands at it will tell you that D&D 5 really starts at the third level. The first couple of levels are really training levels to kind of get your character warmed up a bit and you pick some abilities and work out what you're doing. So ideally, people pick this up and be able to get the characters to a good starting point to play a proper campaign. And that there are these uh, strong scenes, as you've mentioned. But you did, you said that there isn't the interstitial scenes, but you tend to, there are ones, aren't there? But you tend to deal with those in terms of a table. Yeah, there's a, like I said, it's a mixed bag. Is this? I must point out that my co-host and what with us my party do, Ben Stevens, he helped me with this quite a bit. And because uh, he's he's our D&D wing. If I'm the all the other games, then he's D&D, which... He might, he might chafe out of his own opinions on, but broadly that's kind of an ace split that we have. So I kind of wanted his input because d and is not one of my primary games. It's something I do occasionally, but not not fully. And so there's bits in there, like in the in the bazaar, for example, the stuff around haggling rules and stuff like that, because his, his view to me or his suggestion was, if you're going to do D&D, do it properly, and people will want to go shopping and buy stuff. So we have a little section on that. But then my sort of like gut feel is to have something like this 10 by 10 table of people and situations and attitudes. And you can roll three or four D10 on that and come up with a tabaxi bard singing to a disgruntled staff officer or something or whatever it is. Because I like bits of that as a gym as well to surprise myself. Like I could just put a couple of NPCs that are sat in the, in the bar or the bazaar or wherever it is. Or I could have some fun playing the game while I'm DMing it and roll up some random people that might be there. And then, you know, inspiration will spring for that as to what might be going on in the marketplace and what clues I can give out or rumours or anything like that. And it also gives it replayability. So if you want to go, if you want to go back to the bazaar later or, you know, you want to nick it and use it whenever there's a marketplace that you have in your D&D game, just use that same table and you'll still get something out of it. So it's trying to give value to people who bought the scenario. I like that element. Quite a few games have introduced that, haven't they? Yeah, it's it's a partly just giving inspiration. I think that's what people people want. It's like the other little tables I've got spread throughout, like the first sort of bar fight scene you have to kind of bring it to life. The boys already is like carved into the side of the mountain or something, or a rock face. So that makes it more interesting. And then 
there's a table of things that happen during the bar fight. Like one of the, the Talon's local gang might shout, ah, and leap off the balcony into the middle of the table. Or he might find you, you're sort of like the guy you're supposed to work with, trolling on his hands and knees trying to get out or whatever. But little tables like that just add extra bits. And you don't have to plan it as a gem either, or a DM in this case. You can just roll and get some, get a little wry smile yourself as you play along and make things more interesting that way. And well, as you know, you can have remas or anything you want, make little tables for yourself and, and roll on them. And it just gives you, it gives you a little spark and energy throughout the scenario as you're doing things, which keeps you entertained. One of the things that we pointed out as well is we like the sort of the rogues gallery, the uh, NPC list at the beginning, which gives like a thumbnail of each character. So you get a sense of it as a GM of who they are and some flavor text of who they are. And you mentioned as well that you've done some uh, kit bashing of images. I mean, I did quite a bit anyway for home games. The challenge is when doing it for a published scenario is that you've got to have stuff that's not attributed or you know, you're free to use license basically. So there are sites like Pixabay or Unsplash and others where you can get photos. The tricky bit is sourcing stuff that you can then use, which you're allowed to in, in your own commercial properties, if you know what I mean. If you could just search the internet and get any image, like dirty IO people do, then it'd be a lot easier and a lot more productive. But So there's a bit of that kind of, this is why it takes my hourly rates so low. It takes a long time to get the right sort of images and mess about a lot to kind of learn techniques and get them to look how you want them to. Because that's the problem I have generally anyway, is what I'll do is think of a character and then spend too long finding a picture for it. When arguably what I should do is create a nice picture <laughs> and make some words to go along with it. That'd be a lot quicker. I should start doing that, but then I never do. Having played several games at UGN, that is one of your uh, one of the things that I've adopted from what you do, and that is flavour some uh, NPCs, but you also have an image to go with them so that it sticks in your mind. One of the things that used to frustrate me at convention games was people going, oh, what was it you called again? Image of those employees. And you get these repeated questions and you kind of, you can go down the route of going like players, you need to write notes and everything. Like if you can't remember, I shouldn't have to keep reminding you and roll your eyes and get all prima donna gem about it. All we can do is create little images with names on and put them out. And then the players can see who it is that hired them and who the bad guy is, the face and all that. And really helps for mystery games that if they're going to like, well, who is it that's the traitor or whatever, or where should we go next? They can kind of move the assets around the table and, you know, have a thing and who will we fight him? Well, he's the big leader there, that one. And it just gives you, Yes, everybody's mind around what's happening, who people are. They, they don't have to like struggle to recall facts that you've given them an hour ago. That you know the stuff on the table to you. So, I find functionally for games, it, it helps a lot. Now, one of your projects that you're working on at the moment is unconventional GMs, which starts with the idea that any game can be done in two hours if you act with vim and vigor. I have submitted the Bone Alchemist as a game that I'm going to run at Aircon, which is in Manchester in December. So I want your top tips for me how I get this. Well, it's going to be about two and a half hour convention slot. I think it's doable. Well, I could do it. So there's the, there's, you know, be more like me. That's, that's a tip, is it? I don't know. Yeah, well, there's sort of three main scenes, I would say, and some minor ones. So just, just see how you're going as you go along, like it's easy when you set off a star there's a big pub fight and there's the the, the patron who gives you your mission describes it and stuff and there's a bit of clue gathering and going to the bazaar to find stuff like that could really be condensed into a big bar fight and then a really obvious clue as to where to go next and you could be off to the the leviathan rotting on the the beach and stuff like that so the easy way to do it is see how your fights are going and if they're taking ages put out on the fluffy bits and just like smash cut 
just go, oh yeah, the, the guy says that you need to go and say happy Skendar on the beach. Okay, you're at the beach and happy Skendar says to you X, Y, and Z. You know, you can just fast forward and get to good bits. Don't don't allow too much messing about. If, if you're short on time, if you've got time, then by all means, ham up some characters, get the players talking to each other, you know, doing all your fun bits. But just, just be aware you've kind of got three main chunks to get to, the beginning, middle, and end. And so you can go like... Maybe do if you think there's going to be about half an hour, 40 minutes on each, and then you've got a bit of time in the middle for the other stuff. Just keep yourself uh, aware of time and pace and don't be frightened of jumping ahead. Just to talk a little bit about unconventional GMs, which I know that you're in it, and you, you've actually chosen some particular games to do that. Do you think that some game systems are predisposed to being done with more energy and vim and vigour, as you put it? I think that's the Vim and Vig is an attitude and, you know, it's an approach to play. It's a play style. So there's plenty of actual players, if you go out there, that are quite legend, I would say, or lugubrious. And other people might think that's, you know, they're quick pace, that, that we've all got different needs and wants and, and ways of doing things. But like, there's another, another content creator who's recently released sort of like a top 10 tips for doing your online games and stuff. And, it, and his is like, talk at half speed. Like, why would you turn a four-hour game into an eight-hour one? Like, just... Like, I sort of know what you say. There's reasons for it so that you're clear and you're heard and everybody in the studs and got time to think of stuff. But actually, like, the, you want the fun bits of games, like the worst part of actual players if you edit them. We don't because we play at such a pace. It would be the editing bit and cutting out the bits that you don't want to get to a, the fun, interesting parts. We might not make your game all the fun, interesting parts is this guy when we look at it. So there will be some things like if you're playing D&D or Pathfinder 2, the fights are going to last a long time. So that's going to be a good chunk of your time. So that's, you know, you've got to limit how many fights you have in your game due to the mechanics of how long it takes to have those functional activities. Whereas games that are more narrative can be more talky. Like the, the Delta Green we had, it was just two player. What I found with that, interestingly, there was a lot of talking between the two characters, more so than when we have three or four. So actually we kind of like, it wrapped up quite quickly at the end and we had a sort of cut finish with a, an end scene that's because the two players were talking to each other all the time and also encouraged to chat more than they would do if there's a, a full party if you know what i mean so mm -hmm. that scenario took longer than i thought it would because the format of the game allowed people to to have more space to just do the role-playing bits the pure role-playing rather than the rolling dice and when it comes to community content you've also produced quite a bit for freely because you're giving giving templates for these aren't you so what, what what's the difference between D and D and uh, the free league stuff yeah there's the sort of templates we give you the layout options like the D, &D template that we use there's a, a link actually in the, in the back if you want to use yourself i found that it was just a nightmare it's like loads of different layers loads of hidden in different so it's it's just uh, there's this thing where you can go like press this windscreen wiper button in affinity and it'll take away all the markup and rulers and stuff so you can see what it looks like and when you bring it back again all the page numbers that disappear so well, where's they gone you have to dig about through that, this hierarchy, trying to find where the page numbers were and where they were hidden so you could get them back again and stuff. And it's, templates can be good, but you usually be aware that there's actually like a problem with quite a lot of them. And there'll two things you don't want them to like automatically adjust some check text to a different font for no apparent reason or sizing. And publishing is a whole different thing along with actually writing your scenario. But the D&D &D thing I did, I wanted to do it as I thought D&D &D would be. So this is where Bastia's help would be. So the sections in there around what the corridors look like and you know each time you go to a new place it tells you what the doors are made of and bits like that that i think a lot of dnd players want whereas free league certainly like for example uh, the vase stuff is a mystery so you don't like nobody cares what the doors are made of like it's got to be more about 
what information can I get at each of these scenes or with each of these people? And they give good advice if you get the advice from RPG on how to structure one of their scenarios or how to build it up. So I just followed that because that would be what people expected to see. But, and there's a caveat, I am questioning myself on this. I've just written a Call of Cthulhu scenario, which is based on that Delta Green game we've played. So that's currently with a proofreader. And that's different, I think, than most Call of Cthulhu scenarios will be. So part of what's been, I've been doing for content creation for whoever it's been, has been trying to deliver what the companies do to a degree. And I'm more coming around to the idea that you can do whatever you want. So speaking to Jason Drow, for example, about saying about this Cthulhu scenario, I wasn't sure. He's like, do whatever, it doesn't matter. And, you know, he's a, a line developer of great pedigree. So if he says it's fine, then maybe people do want to see things that are different. You know, if you're used to seeing the same old D&D or Vason scenario or whatever, maybe you want to see something completely different and exciting and interesting, and that's why you buy it. So I am starting to lean to more towards, like, breaking the expectations and doing something completely different. But to get you started, or certainly it helped me to get started, was to follow patterns that were already there. And then that gave me some structure. So I got some confidence about what I was delivering. Good stuff. Well, thank you for that. And we're coming towards the end. I just wanted to give you opportunity, uh, Gaz, to promote any current stuff. As I mentioned at the start, myself and Ben are the co-hosts of the What Would the Smart Party Do podcast, UK's premier RPG podcast. Uh, so go on, Ben. We do all kinds of interviews with people. We do talk throughs, we do advice, we do like cover all kinds of aspects of the hobby. So even if you don't like every episode, there'll be something for you. We've mentioned Unconventional Gems, which I did with Guy Miller. So you should check out his blog, Burn After Running. And if you want some kind of like ideas about when we talk about pace or running quickly or keeping your adventures down or try out just a different system to see how it works, I think that's a highlight of our, our running is that we do use systems properly, high system engagement, and this fun and action and activity along the way. And of course, you also get to see the wonderful face of our host at the Dice and others that get to guest on there as well. So please do support Uncommercial Gems, like, subscribe, ring that bell. Yeah, brilliant. And I will, of course, put links in the show notes to all of your community content that you created so people can check it out for themselves. Thanks a lot, Gaz, for coming on a, a Sunday morning and uh, having a shave as well. Thank you. <laughs> Absolute delight. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. The Groggies, part two. Welcome back. We've not been anywhere, have we? We've not been anywhere. It's an illusion. It's an illusion. That pigeon's still there. Well, I, I don't like how he's looking at me with his one eye. Anyway. Mutant pigeon, the Bolton. Next uh, award, mysterious gold envelopes is New Kids on the Top, the Tabletop. Ooh. This is the new game. Well, new to us, but it can be a new game. Yeah, it can be an old game, but new to us. Yeah. yeah. So okay. what have you gone for? Well, I suppose got, I've got two contenders for this this year. One's, one's Liminal, which, again, not, not a new game, but new to us. And the other one would be a game called Torchbearer. Both strong contenders, because I did, did like Liminal, played Liminal, Jonathan's game at Grogmeat, and enjoyed it. And you ran some Liminal, and I run a bit of Liminal as well, and I've enjoyed it. And I, like, I think, as we said in the podcast, I like the setting, I think the setting's good easier than I thought it would be to get into. The, the reason I'd avoided Liminal was I thought urban fantasy, I'm not sure that's my thing. Liminal does a really good job of bringing you into that world in a quite an accessible way. The other one's Torchbearer, which is a strange game 
because you've played it, haven't you? I played it, I played it once. I've got opinions about playing it once, but I'd want to play it more just to see. Yeah, and, and you can run it, and I have run it as one shot, and it does work, does work for a one shot, but you're only really playing about half the game, I think. Isn't it built on like burning wheels? Yeah, it's a burning wheel thing. So it's, it has a reputation. I think burning wheels have a reputation for me very complicated and it's torch bearer complicated. I don't know if it's complicated, but there's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of components to it. So it's a very traditional game in one respect because it is about going into dungeons and fighting monsters and getting treasure or that kind of thing. But it's not very traditional in the rules, the way it operates. So it has a, thing called a grind where every four turns you get a condition no matter what so you're going to get hungry you're going to get afraid you're going to be exhausted you're going to get even injured even though you've not done anything you're in a dungeon you're going to get injured if you're not careful so it's got this kind of thing called a grind and it's got over there lots of other bits and pieces around it where you can argument roles but the system's quite simple it's just like d6 dice pool get so many successes Four, fives, and sixes are success, and one to three is a failure. So it's relatively straightforward. But it has, interestingly, and this this is the things we've never quite explored yet, and I might want to explore more. It has rules about setting up camp. You can recover from these conditions if you set up a camp, but if you set up camp, there's rules about do you start a fire? But if you do, there's a risk of monsters. If you don't start a fire, you're going to be cold and it's harder to recover. You've got to like make sure you survey the site, all those kind of things. So it's got rules for those elements of fantasy games that are often hand-waved away. Yeah. Going back to town and going, you know, like we do. Go back to town. Yeah, it's a few gold pieces. You spend a few nights in the tavern. Uh, yeah, you're feeling better. You've recovered. Well, in Torchbearer, it's like, well, what money have you got? Well, you can't afford the tavern. You have to sleep in a barn. Yeah. And a barn is cold and drafty and you're not going to recover quite as well. The thing that struck me about it is that it, it, although you said that it's simple, it is simple, but it is that thing of choosing whether you're attacking and defending. Yeah, combat's a bit weird, isn't it? It's like yeah. paper, scissors, rock yeah. thing, isn't it? Whether... I'm currently reading Flashing Blades and yeah. that's a very similar setup where you... you the stance that you choose affects the yeah. results and that kind of thing. What I felt was playing it is that it, it very, the system's quite foregrounded in it, isn't it? Mm. So you, you're playing the game and some people like that, don't they? Yeah. 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 Take about BRP, the thing I like about BRP, it kind of gets out of the way and sits in the background. Sits in the background yeah. and it's there when you need it. And I know for some people, system matters. Yeah. yeah and it's, I, I suppose what I quite enjoy about it is I like, I think why why it's a contender. And I'd probably say, to be honest, it's probably won. From my perspective, probably won the yeah. award from me. What I liked about it was, even though when I got it and I read it, I thought, oh, this is this is going to be difficult to run as a one-shot because it's it's quite, there's a lot going on. Yeah. And of course, you always worry about that in a one-shot, don't you? Because you yeah. worry that, come on, I'll spend an hour explaining the rules to people before we start playing, which I didn't do, just started playing. And the rules eventually kind of emerged when people ask questions. Best way of doing it, I suppose. But what I quite liked about it, from a running it from a games master's perspective, very easy to run because it gives people lots of tactical choices. So you can present them with something that in other games would be quite simple. Some goblins, some goblin guards. Here's some goblin guards. 
dead simple, classic kind of thing. How are you going to deal with them? But what Torchbound is like, it presents players with lots of tactical choices and lots of potential consequences that makes conventional, simple stuff more interesting than it is in other games. And that's what I liked about it as a GM when I was running it. There were points where I sat back and thought, this is quite easy because they're doing all the work. There's a lot for the players to think about here. Yeah. You know, like with combat, you pick in those, you, you pick three cards, don't you? Yeah. And you don't know what the GM's picked and you have to decide. And there was a lot of discussion about, right, this row, what are we going to do? We're going to attack and defend. Are we going to do this maneuver? Yeah. And that, like you say, it's gamey. It is gamey, but it's quite good fun to run it because yeah. you don't have to do a lot. I'd say that it's gamey to the extent that it took me out of the world. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. But, that's just based on two hours of play. I think to form a proper opinion, yeah. I'd have to play a bit more. And I'd like to play more. I'm not yeah. repelled by it. I'm not. No, no. Yeah. It's different. I think what the, re- for the reason it wins for me is of all the games I've played, the new games I've played this year, it, it is different. Although it's conventional in terms of its themes, it is very different from other role playing games that I've played. Uh, the Forge in the Dark games like Aegon, it's not like that because there's much more to it. And it doesn't feel as abstract as those games can, because those games can sometimes start out for me, feel very abstract. Well, it's, it just, it just so happens that my nomination <laughs> is an Aegon or Paragon based game. Okay. All right. Go on. This is so new. It's not really been born yet. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm lucky enough. Get you, get you on the cutting edge. Cutting edge. Mm-hmm. I'm on the bleeding edge of, of games design. <laughs> I've, uh, Gaz is a, Guess this episode ran some playtests of Deathmatch Island, mm. which is a new game that's based on the gun system. Concept behind it is a bit like Fortnite, Hunger mm. Games, yeah, yeah, yeah. Battle Royale, Squid Game, even The Prisoner. Mm. This idea that as players, you put on an island and you're battling against other players, but also the strife player who is production, who is the, the people running the show. And it's very clever application of the Aegon system. You cut your right. It is quite abstracted, but it feels very real. The setup is really good because I think those kind of games really depend on people being aware of the cliches and trolls. Yeah, yeah. And it's in everything now, isn't it? It is it is yeah. quite surprising how competition to the death a crowd of people start and yeah, yeah, yeah. you whittle it down. And some nice elements to it, so parts of the island that you can explore. So it's like a node based. As you're exploring the island, you go in there's parts of it that are redacted because that's a production area, but you can choose to uh, yeah. break into them and right. discover yeah. more stuff. And just the sheer quality of the design of it as well, it's beautifully designed, it's very consistent. So I had great fun playing that. Mm. And when I described it, Eddie reminded me that we invented that back in the year. <laughs> we invented it, did we? Okay. <laughs> sure. I might have talked about this before. But me and Eddie, I don't think you were part of this in the right, plan yeah. that we did. We'd got a map of Bolton. <laughs> I think I do remember this, yeah, yeah. And we were going to set up a PBM called Murder Zone, yeah. <laughs> which was partly based on the killing mm. and the story in Strontium Dog. Mm. 
but also uh, Mean Arena from uh, yeah, yeah, 2018. Like so we bought some map pins and they were going to be the players as they moved and we were going to use Traveller <laughs> and the players were going to move through the streets of Bolton, <laughs> killing them. Bumping each other off, yeah. 1985. 1985, yeah. There yeah, you go. There you go. Yeah. Do you kind of royalties from uh, the Hunger Games and all the other people that done it? <laughs> you want a percentage of it all? <laughs> so if there's ever an example of looking backwards to look forwards, I yeah. think Deathmatch Island... Yeah. Has taken mine and Eddie's idea and made it marketable and really good. I think it's it's quite interesting, isn't it, with both hit games like that, though? Like I said, Torchbearer and that. But they, they have their similarities. I'm not saying they're entirely the same, but yeah, that kind of gamey games that where the game actually chat runs, runs stuff, if that makes sense. Yes. You know, yeah. rather than just, as you say, sits in the background. It's, it forces you, it forces your player's hand a bit in terms of what they can do, can't do. And if they decide to do this, then this happens. Whereas, so I suppose some, some games just give you a rule set for deciding how you resolve, like a resolution mechanic, essentially yeah. a glorified resolution mechanic. That's, that's what a lot of games are. But the games we've picked slightly different because they have resolution mechanics, but they're kind of, they don't force players to do things. I, I but they give more consequence to actions and that kind of thing. I suppose it, it depreciates the omnipotence of the games master. Mm. So, like you said, you're handing it to the players to yeah. make choices around it yeah. because the system does it. And I think we have been previously quite dismissive of mm. those kind of games. Iron Swan is a does that doesn't it so the mechanics are running the show yeah. and it's not about the permission of the games master yes yes yeah yeah and also i, I think for me with like torchbearer i say i think the thing is i've got a lot of games now and i think one theme this year i bought less games this year than ever fewer up uh, fewer sorry <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've not stopped buying gaming stuff. I've still spent fortune on gaming stuff, you know. Yeah. About DCC Dino. You've, like you've got less gaming stuff. Got less gaming stuff. And fewer games. Yeah. <laughs> but I think, yeah, that, yeah, the fewer games thing is kind of quite telling. And I think the reason for that is because when I look at the games I've got, and I did this, a good example of this was that Dragonborn, you know, Dragonborn. Yeah. You said, oh, this, this is good. It's like a fantasy book. I'm sure it is an excellent game. People very speak very highly of it. But yeah, I've got a lot of fantasy games. And I thought, oh, I've got fantasy games, haven't I? So, yeah. Whereas I think Torchbearer, oh, it's a fantasy game. It's very different from any other game I've got. So it holds its own and it's worth playing again because it's, it is different. And that's the key to it, isn't it? I guarantee you'll have Dragon Ben in the next few weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I won't, I won't, I won't tell you. I won't weaken, I won't. Okay, next one is the random roll on an encounter table. So these are the events that we've attended this year, which has yep. been the strongest event, which has been the strongest event for you. Oh, 
We've done more this time, done more this year than we have in previous years. Thanks to um, Go Play Manchester has now been reborn. There's Morpcon, isn't Morpcon, Manchester yeah. occasional role playing, yeah. And there have been a steady stream of uh, games yeah. that we've had. Well, that's been great because that's a regular stream of games. Roderick's done a great job of, of organising that and it's it's great to, to be doing that. I don't know, best event, no. You have to say Grandmaid, don't I? You have to say Grandmaid. Well, is Grandmaid disqualified? Is that disqualified? We, we give it to it every year. Yeah, so we can. You can, can do if you want. Well, it, you, it, don't it, say, no, don't you don't want to. No, I don't, it, I don't want to, but it seems it's a bit wrong. It seems like, I don't know. It felt some weird form of nepotism by right. doing the other thing we've organised is the best one. Ha, ha, ha. I know it, this probably happens every year, but the run up to this one seemed particularly difficult. Mm. And I don't know why, but it, it seemed particularly difficult, this one. Because there's a lot of other things going on, wasn't there? I think. And I it think, doesn't. And I, I, like, I always think it's, it's that problem, which we've discussed before, the problem of it, it's as big as it can get without getting too big. If it gets any bigger, it becomes something different and we need to go out of Manchester. Yeah. So it would lose some of its character. But to to get it as big as it is is difficult in the centre of Manchester. Yeah, hence the two two venues thing because that allowed us the capacity to to do it. But it's quite it's quite difficult. And I think as, as time goes on, that that's a yeah, it's a bit of a strain there, isn't it? Two two it's like two venues. We were we were kind of constantly a bit yeah. worried about fanboy, a bit worried about we were like to go two buildings to worry about now. Two sets of people, and even though both. Both sets of people did a great job. There's no problem. You don't know there's no problem until you get there and there's no problem. Yeah. So there was a bit of that, I think. The two two venues was great and both venues were better, I think, for the fact of splitting. Uh, but I think, I think reflecting on it now, I think it's probably the best experience I've had. Mm. I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. It was really good fun. I think we were blessed by good weather. I think it would have been a very different prospect people slumping across town yeah with the usual manchester denport manchester weather yeah yeah but, yeah. Uh, well. but i would say the best thing i've been to i'd probably say elba elba it's great yeah. i enjoyed for it. shame for shame well, all i can remember i'm not gonna vote for i'm not gonna vote for grog me it's wrong and no the thing is is the only thing i remember about elba is being uh, almost locked in a nightclub yeah you had a very different experience didn't you to me because yeah. i went Back to my hotel about 11 p.m. Or you didn't. I didn't. Did. No. Lads, what are you doing in here? Everybody's gone. <laughs> I've seen the pictures. <laughs> anyway, we'll gloss over that. What happens at Albert? What about you? What was your? I'm going to say it was an unusual one and I wasn't feeling 100%. But the more cocktail-keen weekend. Of course, yeah, there was that. That was, that's, this is like all these awards, isn't it? That's because that was back in March. Yeah. <laughs> I think that was last year, but it's not. No, no, I think um, it was an unusual thing for us to, to do. Mm. There was a lot of us together in a big house. The hot tub didn't work in case anybody was worrying. And we played games all through the weekend. It's great. It's it, like yeah, Denton yeah. Abbey type house, wasn't it? Yeah, there? it was, yeah. The fellow showed us round to all these like nooks and crannies, these rooms that we were staying in. Yeah. And he said, hey, are you a, are you a, a club or something? And Chris Sharp said, no, it's more of a cult. <laughs> yeah, just to worry you. Yeah. It's more of a cult. <laughs> so we're in there and we're in the kitchen for the entirety of the uh, weekend where we're playing Gone in 
the Young Kingdoms yeah. and the DCC and talking to the wee hours and we yeah. had a quiz. Yeah, that was a good, good experience. That was a good experience, yeah. 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 So that was my... That's we're, lucky, my we're lucky, really, that they're all good experiences. I mean, if, if I'm honest, that was a great experience. Grog Meat's great, Elbow's great, and the Morpcon games are great. The only one that's not great is Ex- Expo's the one is that is mixed, as has been well documented. It's yeah. a mixed one, you know. It's a very mixed experience, uneven, uneven experience. I'm going to give you a chance, as we've done previously, in your hot air balloon. If oh, yeah. You, if you could yeah. throw things over the side from this year, what would they be? Because the top of the Expo, one of the things I'm going to put in is train system, the public transport. You've got to put the public transport system in and, and throw it out of a balloon. Window. Begs the um, question, how is a balloon even taking off with that in? <laughs> but it has been frustrating. It has, yeah. It's interf- it, it, yeah, it's in- that's interesting, isn't it? Public transport, a series of rail strikes, have interfered with our gaming fun. Perhaps my book, Michael Fabricant, with his newfound uh, knighthood, can sort it out. Sort it out. Go on, Mr. Fabricant. Yeah. Do, do something. Yeah, yeah. Do something. So that's going over the sides. Well, what would I throw over the side? I'm going to throw some of the side. Controversial. This will, there'll be shrieks of horror. Horror. The gaming community, or certain quarters of the community. I'm going to throw over the side Vampire of the Masquerade. <laughs> I've got to look, throw it over the side and watch it sink to earth, never to be seen again. With its flouncy shirt flapping in the breeze as it falls, yeah. Because this was the year we played Vampire with Steve, didn't we? Steve Ray and Orlando yeah. Rex ran it for us. And it, it, this is no this is no reflection on him as a GM. I think he did a sterling job. And it's no reflection on the players, you, Sam, Martin. No, not a reflection on any of that. But as a game, it was... A, and in some ways, there's more reflection on me, isn't it? Because it came as a real shock to me. I, it wasn't, just was not what I was expecting. I don't know what I was expecting, because I knew you played a vampire. And I thought, well, there's loads of things out there where you play vampires. There's loads of films like Vampires, like Underworld, isn't there? The Kate Beckett's, you know, I thought, is he? Maybe, maybe it's like that. I know anything about it. Maybe it's like that. Maybe it's like that being human, you know, like being human, the yeah. TV show with the vampire and the werewolf and the ghost, and maybe it's like that kind of thing or whatever. But it's not, it's, it's all about these, the machinations of the different clans, vampire clans, isn't it? And that yeah. kind of thing. And it just did not float my boat at all. I've played a lot of games with you. And some of the games you've run haven't been top of my list. So there's plenty of games where you could say, I'm going to run this, like And I would say, yeah, all right, go on, play that. <laughs> play that, don't mind. But if you said, I'm going to run Vampire of the Masquerade, I wouldn't play it. Seriously? I wouldn't play it. Didn't see, like it. See, I, I'm still vampire curious. Like you, I was a bit, a bit sold. I wasn't sold on it for reasons. If you want to listen to full reasons, you can listen to Steve's Anthrexes yeah. and Gaming Vexes where we uh, talk about it. But I do think that it was on a back foot to begin with because I think when we were presented with the rules, and all of the clan law. Yes. And yeah. understanding, yeah. like you say, the machinations of how that fitted in and what were the limits of our abilities and where did we fit into the yeah. world? Yeah. And what were, was our purpose yeah. in the world? How did that fit with the clan that we'd chosen? Yeah. All that stuff is a bit like the 
have a discussion and go on through, isn't it? You know, you have to absorb some of that and adopt some of that for you to get the pleasure out of the game. Otherwise, I, I, the way I described it, it's a bit like Knights Black Agents in reverse. We felt, yeah. we felt like an espionage game where we were the vampires running away from authorities rather than... Yeah. Yeah, it did. Uh, it, it did. It, 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 yeah. yeah, it was a number of things. I think you're right. It, it, it certainly, when uh, we, I sat down to look at the rules, I kind of recoiled a bit. And I think more than, from my experience, more than Galantha, because we talked about that a lot at length, more than Galantha, it felt, did feel like a game where you really had to know all this stuff yeah. to really enjoy it. We, Galantha has its issues, but you can play a game of RuneQuest and maybe not really know about stuff and probably enjoy it because you might fight some trolls or something and it's okay. But I think the Vampire the Masquerade, it, it did feel like I had to know all this stuff and that was all about, oh, it's a bit offline. It was all this lore and all this kind of... It wasn't what I was expecting, I thought. I was expecting vampire hunters to come after us. I thought it's about being a vampire. You've got to survive yeah. in a secret and there'll be vampire hunters coming up. But the mortal world isn't really what it's about, is it? Or it doesn't seem to. It's more about the internal machinations, like you say, of the vampires and that kind of thing. And also, I think as well, it, it brought home to me the fact that I do like, in the role-playing, I quite like playing one of the goodies. And I don't mean Bill Oddy. <laughs> I mean, I like to play they're good guys. And I think in Vampire, I created a character. Again, put my fault, a character who was kind of like trying to be a good vampire. And, of course, it doesn't really work like that because you have got your humanities dripping away, isn't it? And you live in a world where there's these horrible vampires who are all backstabbing each other. So the way to survive is to be like that. So I, you have I, I to thought... be, I think, as you, as you said when we were playing, you have to be, you were a monster. Yeah, I don't really want to play a monster. In some games, you might play a guy who's a little bit ambiguous, a bit, you know, he's like Avon in Blade 7. He's not quite a good guy. But he's still a good guy. Yeah, He's still a good guy. I want to fight vampires. I don't want to play one. And I think, for me, it's just one of those games I just didn't really no. enact to at all. I admire the fact that, it, I think, in previous versions of it, mm-hmm. you would play superheroes who were had superpowers. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, a bit like um, spiking, um, yeah, buffet. Yeah, yeah. But in um, in this, with the mechanic of the hunger mechanic, mm. you do become a monster. You get to a point where yeah. you no longer have agency over your character because yeah. the red mist takes over. That's you true, yeah. uh, you have to, theme. which are quite a good mechanics. I, I do yeah. think I, I, I've thrown it over the side of the balloon, but that's because I'm in the balloon. If it landed in someone else's balloon further down, they might enjoy it. I'm not saying it's necessarily a bad game. The system's not bad, and and the, it is like a fascinating world that they've created. I just don't. I just felt it wasn't really for me. No, it didn't quite connect to people who were catching the rulebook in the other balloon. We'll have to get past the terrible, terrible illustrations. <laughs> I I think it is one of the, it goes it passes unnoticed, doesn't it? Because it <laughs> these photographs, aren't they? Are photo dressed up. Yeah. And to me it just looks do you remember in the nineties when you get like these municipal museums <laughs> where yeah. you could speak to a character. Yeah. 
Hello, I'm Bill the Wainwright. <laughs> I'm projected on a wall. Yeah, exactly. They look like that. Yeah, yeah, look, yeah. It's terrible. Yeah, yeah. So a duff costume, some duff actor, duff costume. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it wasn't, it, of all the gaming experiences, and it's not a reflection on, I, I did, I sort of enjoyed bits of it when we were playing it, but overall it was a game. I came out of it the other side thinking, nah, that's not for me. It's not for me, this one. So as well as the entire real system I'm putting on the mm. side. I don't really want to I want that just to get better. Yeah, yeah. Because it can get better. Yeah. It can improve. Mm. I'm go- literally going to throw bags over the side because I've come to realise, and maybe because I'm getting older, bags, bags. I thought you said Babs. Like Babs. Barbara Windsor. <laughs> well, she can go over the well, side as well. Bags, bags, bags. You're throwing bags over the side. Bags over the side. What, what, why is that? What's, I think what? it's a combination of the fact of travelling and being over-encumbered. Yes. And yeah. try and ignore the game as a bat. Try and ignore the game, uh, you know, the encumbrance rules. Mm. But I have felt rather over-encumbered. Yeah. I know that you're very good. You kind of try and minimise what you take. I, for whatever reason, feel like I have to have the physical rule book at the table. Yeah. Partly yeah. because of the theatre presence of it, you know, the fact yeah. that it's a prop and you can hold it up, this is a rule yeah. book we'll be yeah. using yeah. today and people can feel reassured that we have a tone there. We've got to lug it around, haven't you? Yeah, well, I've fallen victim to that this year because I've run DCC and I've taken the DCC rule book. And in itself, it's it's quite chunky. In itself, it's not so bad. But when you, when you add it up to all the other stuff. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. And and the other thing is, is I had one of your worst nightmares. Now, I use a bag day to day. You don't use a bag. And what do you always say to me, Blinder? Well, well, I was worried that I'll lose my bag. Yeah. Because I don't carry a bag normally. And therefore, when I've got a bag and I say, like, a gaming convention, I go for a drink afterwards and I've got a bag, I worry I'm going to leave the bag because my instinct is to not have a bag. I'm just going to have a few pints and then walk out without it. So, more con. I ran the Beggar Knights of Nadsakor. I used Elry Games Master Screen that mm. was yeah. recovered from the vaults of Chaosium by Doc Carey this year in an auction. And it's, it, it's languished there for 40 odd years. And I had it in my bag and I woke up in the middle of the night and what thought some months later, but yeah, where is it? <laughs> oh, where is it? Yeah. What did I do with that bag? I've not seen that bag since then. I got up at three o'clock in the morning and started rummaging through the house. My wife wondered what was going on. What's going? What we that bag? I can't see it. See anyone looking everywhere, and so I ended up ringing round places to to see where I'd retraced my steps because mm-hmm. I went out for a family meal after the convention yeah and I thought I must have left I've left it yeah I've left it in a, in a restaurant or something and so we went ringing around and I thought I'm not convinced by some of these answers they say they're looking but are they looking I need to get that bag back and so I, I physically went into Manchester to every single place and asked them to look went with them to look for it <laughs> it wasn't there because all the time it was on on the back of the door in the den <laughs> which when you find it 
is an incredible relief because you found her, yeah. but also incredible frustration because you've been all around the houses, <laughs> to all those places, and worried about it for so long. And yeah, it was always there. It's a mixed feeling, isn't it? It is. <laughs> the bank's going over the side. Okay, I'm coming to the last of our awards now. Okay. And, and next one is the Listener Award, where we ask people to vote oh, right. okay. for the, the grog pod of the year, mm. the one that they like the most. Okay. And we had over 100 votes, so that's the highest number of votes that we've had this year. Okay. Ooh. Ooh. Now, you don't listen to the interviews, do you? You don't know what the interviews are before. You only time you hear the interviews. I just listen to the interviews when they're broadcast. Yeah, well, broad, yeah, when they're in the podcast. So I, I know what who you've interviewed, but I'll just listen to the interview as as is in the podcast. Yeah, which one will you would you go for? My, one of my favourites was the Dangerous Games interview. Oh yeah, Joseph Lake. Yeah, I thought that was fascinating because it it's one of those things that everyone talks about. But to hear someone who's kind of studied it talk about it was very interesting, I think. I found it quite a fascinating interview. Yeah. So I would yeah. say that one is made one of my highlights, really, of the of the year. Yeah. yeah. Scored quite low, that one, with the listeners, yeah. And it, okay, was, a, good. it was a battle royale mm. uh, between the liminal episodes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. With Paul Mitchell yeah. okay. and uh, Keeve did Stranger Times I think people appreciated discovering Stranger Times yeah okay. yeah, yeah, yeah yeah but the overall winner just picked it in the last minute was Michael Moorcock of course it was of course it was yeah, yeah. and that was a that, that was a strange one for me because I kind of knew I knew about that quite a bit in advance didn't I when yeah. other people didn't so yeah yeah but my, the Michael Moorcock one was great it was just great hearing Michael Walcott talking. It's quite funny because you only asked about four questions. No, I did, I, did loads, I, I did loads of research. I know you did. You, you were really worried. You were really worried. Picking. God, well, I've got to interview Michael Walcott. I weeks and weeks of angst about it, thinking, for all these questions, I don't want to appear like... Too fanboyish. Too, too fanboy. I don't want to appear to, to that. I don't have knowledge of his work. And I don't, you know, I know if he's awkward, he doesn't want to talk. And I loved, I, I laughed, I think, all the way through the interview <laughs> because you asked the question and he was off. I was there 20 minutes later. I thought, Dirk's not said anything. Has Dirk fallen asleep? Is he like, what's happening? And it's it just so funny. And he just talks and talks and talks. And it was fascinating to listen to, but he just talks. It's just the easiest thing to you've ever done. It is. It is. And uh, yeah, it was great. It was great to uh, meet a hero. So mm. I put in a word to Bruce Springsteen. I haven't heard back yet. <laughs> to well, talk about his role-playing game experience. It's different. So you've played the role-playing game. And the uh, last award we give is a met to the member of the Grog Squad. Yeah. Who's done above and beyond. So previous winners have been Ahsoka Saw, yeah. Paul Michener, yeah, and uh, Doc Cowie. Yeah. And this year, it's very well-deserved. It's... Uh, Two people are winning it. Okay. And it's Chris and Joe Watkins of yep. Bonamy Games. Mm-hmm. We lost well, a member of the Grog Squad, Mike Hobbs. We remember him every year at uh, Grog Meet by having the Michael Hobbs Award where people compete. And we had that again this year. And we said, I, I always have these ideas, don't tell Bonamy. You do. I have these ideas. And I thought, wouldn't it be a good idea? 
in Mike's name to um, raise some money to buy games for school groups and for youth groups. So in some ways, we remember Mike through uh, new players coming into the hobby and yeah. learning games. And like all things, that's easy to say. And I but said, you have got to do it. You have got to do it. <laughs> you have got to do it. And uh, so I set up a just giving page and the generosity of Mike's friends and the Grog Squad raised a lot of money and mm. to get games over £2,000. And it was Chris and Joe who actually organised getting the games, communicating with the various groups, over 10 groups that have benefited from it, and buying the games for for them, delivering them to them, making sure that they've got a certificate to say that they come from the Mike's Mike Hobbs Memorial Fund. And we finished that this year, and I just want to say thank you to them both. Yeah, deserved winners, I think. Yeah, yeah. Groggers of the Year. Yeah, definitely. Good. Well, that was... Uh, Is that it? That was it for this year? That's it for this year. But I don't think we need to make some New Year's resolution for the new year. <laughs> or are we too tired? How long have we done? Yeah, we're at 20 minutes. But flipping it. Well, thanks for that, Blythe. Pleasure. And I shall see you in the new year. Yeah, we'll set some uh, New Year's resolutions. I then. think we should. Yeah. Next year. I'll have a think over Christmas and make some New Year's resolutions, which I then won't keep. Yeah, a year on the grog. Mm. Hello, this is Gaz. And this is Baz. We're your genial, some might even say a funkular hosts of What Would The Smart Party Do podcast. Where you'll find a special blend of gaming chat, quality interviews, deep dive reviews, advice, war stories and the occasional splash of actual play. So, draw up a comfy chair, get a brew going and join the smart party. Level up your gaming mojo at whatwouldthesmartpartydo.com or find us on iTunes, Spotify and all other reputable purveyors of podcasts. I didn't get to play the bone alchemist at Aircon. Do you know why? Train disruption. The irony. Next time, I'm going by air balloon. Thanks to Gaz for appearing on the podcast. Please check out his adventures that are available for download. I put links in the show notes where you'll find his complete output, including his most recent adventure for Call of Cthulhu, Burning Desire. He is, of course, the co-host of What Would the Smart Party Do? And they've had another bumpy year of episodes. I recommend their interview with Justin Alexander, promoting his new book, So You Want to Be a Games Master. Ben and Gaz do great interviews. If it's tips, advice and insight that you'd like, then they've been looking at wilderness campaigns in cities. Have a notepad at hand while you listen. You'll get at least one bit of inspiration. Normally at this point of the year, I do a roundup of the podcasts that I recommend for this year. But my voice is struggling a bit, so I'll carry it over until next time, along with our New Year's resolutions. Thanks for all your support this year. Listening, engaging, throwing a tip in the patron tip jar, passing on a recommendation to a friend, spreading the word, participating in the book club, the games, the discord, virtual grog meet, grog meet, 
and everything you do to encourage to keep the momentum going is what makes it possible and encourages us to do it more. We have some potentially brilliant interviews and subjects lined up for the podcast next year. So until then, enjoy the festive break. And if that's not possible, I hope you at least find some peace. Until next time, adios amigos.